Good morning and welcome to another episode of the Berean Post Devotional Podcast. And for those of you that have been following along, you know that we have been going through 1 Corinthians and we're in chapter 8 and we're going to be looking at verses 7 to 13 and this will be part 1 because I think there's uh, a little bit to be said on this passage. I'm just going to jump into the text as is my custom. Paul writes, he says, however, there is not in everyone that knowledge. Let me just pause here and explain Um, what he's talking about. This is linking back to the verses before where he makes the point that we know that there is only one God and that idols are really nothing. And so he's starting off here in verse 8 saying, however, there is not in everyone that knowledge. In In other words, everyone doesn't know that. He goes on to elaborate back to the verse. For some with conscience of the idol until now eat as a thing offered to an idol. And their conscience being weak is defiled but food does not commend us to God for neither if we eat are we the better nor if we do not eat are we the worst but beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak for if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat the things offered to idols And because of your knowledge, shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. In the Roman world, multiple gods and deities were revered with each each city having temples and idols. For example, Corinth boasted the famous temple of uh, um, Aphrodite, the goddess of love and beauty. At the same time, Ephesus was the home uh, to the renowned temple of Artemis, known to the Greeks as as Diana, I mean, known to the Romans, rather, as Diana. Uh, It was Artemis to the Greeks and Diana to the Romans, but it was the same goddess. And these temples happened to be uh, one of her temple, the temple of Diana, rather, happened to be one of the, the the seven wonders of the ancient world. Sacrifices were regularly offered to these and other deities as acts of devotion, seeing they're seeking the gods' favor and blessing. These re- these rituals typically occurred in temples or public altars as part of religious ceremonies. And after the animals were were offered as sacrifices. The meat was often distributed through various means, such as selling it in local markets or using it for communal feasts. The issue the Apostle Paul addresses in this letter, particularly in, in his letters and particularly in this passage, was how the Corinthian uh, Christians should respond to meat sacrificed to idols. The Corinthian church was a mix of Gentile and Jewish members, leading to several challenges related to culture, religious, and dietary disparities. These differences included Jewish dietary regulations such as kosher food practices, which significantly contrast with the dietary habits of the Gentiles. These distinctions led to tensions, particularly during shared meals and gatherings, and as previously discussed, consuming meat sacrificed to idols was a significant point of contention. Given the meat's idolatrous association, it's not unreasonable to assume that Jewish members may have expressed concern about partaking in such meat. In contrast, Gentile members may have not comprehended or shared these concerns. Alternatively, 
the situation may have been reversed, where Jewish Christians liberated from Jewish dietary laws felt free to eat meat since they believed in one the meat that was sacrificed to idols, since they believed in one true God. While the Gentile Christians who formerly worshipped these very gods to whom the meat was offered could have struggled with that. But in either scenario, a believer eating meat sacrificed to idols could be likened to the struggle of an alcoholic who may face an internal conflict upon witnessing another Christian consume something that has caused them so much personal harm. For individuals with such struggles, it would be easy it wouldn't be easy to watch another Christian partake without experiencing a crisis of conscience. In Judaism, animal sacrifices were an integral part of religious worship, and particularly in the context of the tabernacle and the tabernacle and later the temple in Jerusalem. Jewish sacrifices were offered to the one true God, Yahweh, where and were seen as acts of worship, atonement, and dedication. They had a specific purpose, pres prescribed rituals and theological significance related to sin, thanksgiving, and consecration. Jewish sacrifices were often within the context of a monotheistic faith. Jews believed in worshipping one God, Yahweh, and their sacrifices expressed devotion and obedience to this one deity. As a side note, we want to remind the reader that while the Old Testament passages, the, while there are Old Testament passages rather that that are replete with the anthropomorphic language that communicates these burnt offerings were a quote unquote sweet smell unto the Lord, God in fact had no pleasure in the sacrificing of these animals. Consider the following text: Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, "Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire." but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. The reason for expressing that God took no pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin is to emphasize that these rituals, even though they were ordained in the Old Testament, were insufficient to completely absolve sin and establish a lasting connection between God and humanity. Every sacrifice, whether the animals used to provide skins for Adam's covering after his transgression, or the lamb offered on the Day of Atonement, sold a, served a dual purpose, to reveal the high cost of our selfishness and sin, and to underscore the necessity of a Redeemer, because the shedding of animal blood was incapable of genuinely expiating human sin. These temporary rituals function as a foreshadowing of the ultimate sacrifice that would come through Christ. What's crucial to recognize is that these sacrifices held a prophetic significance pointing to the redemptive work of Christ. Then he said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. In Judaism, the emphasis was on obedience to God's commands and recognizing one's need for forgiveness and reconciliation. Jewish sacrifices were intended to teach moral and spiritual lessons and to reinforce the concept of a covenant between God and the Jewish people. Jewish sacrifices were rooted in the understanding that God provided a means for people to approach him through prescribed rituals. These sacrifices foreshadowed the concept of atonement and pointed to the need for a perfect sacrifice as a precursor to the Christian concept of Jesus as the ultimate sacrifice for sin. This was not the case for pagans. Within pagan cults, the ethical and moral significance of idol sacrifices varied depending on the specific beliefs of the culture. 
The focus was primarily on pleasing gods and securing personal benefits. Theologically, idol worship was based on the belief in the efficacy of these gods and the need to and to, and the need to alleviate or gain favor with them through offerings. In other words, apparently, they accepted bribes. Pagan sacrifices to idols took place in temples or at public altars depicted to specific deities. These practices were often community events and were common throughout the Roman world. In other words, there were many temples to the same god in different cities. In comparison, the Jewish animal sacrifices were carried out in the temple in Jerusalem under the guidance of the Jewish priesthood. These sacrifices were specific to Jewish religious practices and were centralized in the Holy Land. In comparison, the Gentile sacrifices to idols were made in a polyistic context where people believed in multiple gods and deities, each with its own domain and power. Sacrificing meat to idols was a common religious practice in the Roman world and, based on this text, a hot discussion point within the church, or at least within the church at Corinth. However, after 44 years of walking with Christ, we cannot recall once going to or hearing of a church board meeting held to discuss the hot topic of meat being consumed that was sacrificed to an idol. Yet, there are still lessons to be learned from the text for us today. The Apostle Paul addresses how early Christians should navigate this practice, emphasizing freedom, love, and conscience while avoiding participation in idolatry. Paul's guidance in these matters sought to maintain the integrity of the Christian faith while respecting the sensitivities of weaker believers and not causing them to stumble. His teachings underscore the importance of ethical and moral decision-making guided by a sense of responsibility towards oneself and others. These principles of freedom, love, and conscience serve as guidelines for navigating contemporary ethical dilemmas. What Paul teaches here encourages Christ followers to make choices that reflect their values while considering the impact of those choices on the well-being of others. Hmm. Very convicting. 